0: So if you're tired, right? If you have a hard time maintaining sleep, if you're over fifty-five, and if you're going through perimenopause and menopause, get checked out. The reason for that is age plays a role because your muscle tone decreases. So going back mm. sleep happens when the muscles of the upper airway relax. Typically, the tongue falls back. As we get older, our muscles just aren't as strong. And mm. then as we lose those hormones, those women's sex hormones, the estrogen and progesterone, that actually also makes the airway more floppy. So rates double to triple as women go through the change. And it's not talked about, you go to your doctor and you say, oh, you know, I'm a little bit tired, feeling off. Maybe my mood isn't right. They'll probably give you an antidepressant, send you to a therapist or check your thyroid versus a man will come in. Oh yeah. You probably have sleep apnea. Go get, go get this test. Yeah. So there's a lot of gender bias. And if you take a look at it, sleep medicine in terms of medical school, maybe one hour, two hours of education, (laughs) even menopause, maybe one hour, two hours. So we just, You know, if your your doctor doesn't know, maybe give them some grace that they just haven't been exposed or know about this, because
1: it is sort of a, a smaller field. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey friends, it's Michelle Lemereau and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Today we have a doctor on who's going to help us understand all things sleep related and I'm so excited to be Learning more about this, joining us is Dr. Valerie Cacho, who is triple board certified in integrative sleep medicine, is a wellness consultant and writer. Her interests and expertise include diagnosing and treating medical disorders, sleep disorders during perimenopause and menopause, women's sleep concerns, mind-body approaches to insomnia, self-compassion training, clinical hypnotherapy, and promoting sleep Health and Wellness. She's the president and founder of Sleep Life Med, a telesleep practice in Hawaii and California. And additionally, Dr. Val is the CEO of Sleep Foria, an online educational and sleep wellness company for women. Welcome, Dr. Val. Thanks, Michelle. So happy to be here. I'm so happy um, your team reached out to come talk about sleep because I've been so wanting to cover this subject and looking for an expert and the fact that you focus on women who are dealing with perimenopause and menopause is just my shows for women in midlife. I'm like, oh, I need to have her on. So I'm so happy you're here today. Um, I think all of us know that sleep is essential for great health, Mm -hmm. right? For our ability to function in the world. Um, But it seems to be able to elude us for many reasons, reasons, and I'm happy to have your expertise. Um, Before we start, can you just help us understand what integrative medicine is, just so people understand the, the philosophy that you approach your work with? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So I did the program through the University of Arizona, through Dr.
0: Andrew Weil, who's sort of considered the father of integrative medicine. And what integrative medicine really, in short, is as we think of all the things that we didn't learn in medical school that can help someone heal. So you mm. take whole system processes like Ayurvedic medicine, functional medicine, Chinese herbal medicine, energy medicine, and you sort of combine that with our Western knowledge. And it just really expands, expands your toolbox. So there's other ways that we can help our patients
1: heal. And That's it's great. just been really awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. So that was an extra level. Because what does it mean that yeah. you're triple board certified? I always wondered what that means. (laughs) So in the US, we have these um, board exams, and it's just a
0: requirement to be certified to work in certain hospitals. So my initial training was internal medicine, which is basically, you know, general practitioner. And then I did a sleep medicine fellowship. And then I did an integrative medicine fellowship. So after each training program, you sit for a board exam, and it's a pretty long day. And if you pass these really hard questions, you get a certificate that says you're um, board certified. So, that's so it's cool. just like that little stamp of approval that you really know your information.
1: Yeah, that's great. And also the fact that you were trained in just, right, internal medicine too probably mm-hmm. helps gives you, give you another like lens to maybe address people's issues yeah, with. Yeah,
0: definitely. Having that background of general medicine is really helpful. And, you know, a lot of internal medicine doctors also work in the hospital. So I've sort of worked in the hospital. I've worked in the clinic. Um, even have tele, um telemedicine online. So I've sort of seen the gamut of different aspects of, of a person's health, from just coughs and colds to ICU type, you know, heart stopping, running a code type care.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it would be helpful to understand the stages of sleep. I don't know if you're a fan of devices, so I wear the Aura ring. I'm going to be curious if you think these are valuable or not, but take us through the different stages because I know this will tell me my REM indeed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love talking about
0: sleep stages. Sleep stages, sleep architectures, as we call it. So there's four stages. Stage one, this is the stage of sleep that, you know, maybe at the end of the day, you're sitting on the couch, maybe you're lying down in a recliner. And if you have your phone in your hand, it falls down on your face. (laughs) You know, what happens? (laughs) That's the stage one I'll have. Uh, Your brain waves slow down. Your muscles start to relax and you just don't have muscle tone. But this is a pretty light stage of sleep, so you can wake up pretty quickly from it. So that's stage one. Stage two is a little bit deeper than stage one. And if we brought you to the lab and put the EEG leads on, that's really the best way to know what stage you're in. There's characteristics, features, things called K-complexes and sleep spindles. And it's just the, how the brain waves, the messages are going around in the brain. And then stage three is the deep sleep. And I think that's the sleep that we all want and need. It's the restorative sleep. During this stage of the sleep, it's really interesting. We have this process the, called the glymphatic system. Some people describe it as a trash collectors or the shampoo that comes out and sort of cleans your brain's toxins that get built up from the day. Guess what? As we get older, we have less deep sleep. And then the last stage of sleep is REM sleep. So REM is the really a- an active form of sleep. We dream during this stage, our active dreams. We actually dream through the other stages. Um, it's a part of the night when our memories get filed away. You know, I grew up in an era where we had filing cabinets, and now I guess it's online files. But, you know, think about putting the files in different cabinets, the events from the day. Things go from short-term memory into long-term memory. Um, And we're also paralyzed, so we don't act out our dreams. So we have these four sleep stages, and they last about 90 minutes. So one, two, three REM, one, two, three REM. And depending on how long you sleep, you go to about four through six cycles um, during the night. And we have more deep sleep during the half, the first half of the night, and then we have more REM periods during the second half of the night. So sometimes people will come and tell me, "Well, I don't remember uh, my dream." That doesn't mean that you're not having REM. It could yes. just mean you have an earlier REM period, and you don't remember, you know, maybe something that happened four hours in versus if you just had a REM period and you woke up. And then your question to trackers: Yes, I definitely think that they are useful, but I think it depends on. Why you're tracking your data, right? So I think I always think data is helpful. Um, when you take a look at the way the trackers measure whether or not you're in a specific sleep stage, a couple things. I believe the Aura Ring is based on heart rate variability. So there's a a specific signal of how fast your heartbeat goes. You know, the the heartbeat goes through your system that can tell us what stage of sleep that you're in. Um, if you take a look at some of the research that compares the aura ring or any type of trackers, the other type of trackers are based on accelerometry, which is basically movement. You know, Mm -hmm. ideally, if you're asleep, you're not moving. But the problem with that is some people can be really restless sleepers and you're actually asleep. You can move during sleep. So... For people who don't move a lot, some of the movement trackers aren't too helpful. And if you have an underlying arrhythmia, a regular heartbeat, a heart rate variability monitors may not be helpful, right? So there could be some uh, little disclaimers to that. But as a whole, I think they're really helpful in looking at your duration of sleep, how much sleep you actually get. For staging of sleep, there is a lot of variability—some 50% to 80% to 90%. And it just depends, I think, on a couple of things. And I know that sometimes they change your algorithm, and then your deep sleep could be less, or your REM could be less, and it's like, what's happening? The way I like to look at trackers, it's have a baseline number, right? You know, and then if you're going to change anything in your life, if you're going to do a behavior change, whether it be stop drinking, right? You know, eat more fiber, exercise more. What does that do to your sleep? And, you know, a lot of people I see online, oh, you know, I went to a party and, you know, I just you know had a couple more drinks and I usually do. And my sleep is just a lot less. I was less around sleep. And so those are things I think to look out for. So, you know, it's helpful for how long you're sleeping. And then if you're want to, wanting to change anything or if there's a change in your life, seeing that change from the tracker, which is helpful.
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I'm a little dubious of the ring at times because... Mm-hmm there was a time it sat on a ring holder and it told me, it thought I was asleep for another three hours and light sleep oh my. or something. I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, or it'll tell me that I did some workout that I didn't do. But what yeah. I found interesting about it is being able to look at how much REM, how much mm-hmm. deep. Um, but you mentioned heart rate variability. What's interesting is I'll get like a 94 on my sleep score. Okay. But then my resting score, like in terms of heart rate variability or resting heart rate will be like a 65 or a 70. Mm. And I don't know what contributes to that and how we can, because that's important, isn't it? Because it'll say, oh, you know, you're ready for the day some days. And I'm like, no, I don't really feel that even though it's saying I'm getting good sleep. Can you speak to this? Because I just, you're saying, you know, why do you wear it? You need to be able to interpret the data. I don't Mm -hmm. actually understand this part enough to understand what it's telling me.
0: Yeah. Heart rate variability is really interesting. It's a measure of our sympathetic drive, right? So, you know, our heartbeat, if you think of love, dove, love, love, dub, it goes through our system, but there are variations between the length of the, the beating. So mm-hmm. we actually want to have more variability. It actually means it's a it's a good sign that we can have more of our relaxation response. So having a higher score is actually better than having a lower score. Exactly. you want more of that variability. <laughs> I know
1: it's not a good score. Yeah. Like, so if it's you low should rest today, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So if it's low potentially, it means maybe there's a lot more stress or more, I guess I'd say, um, yeah, maybe more cortisol or more things going on in your life that where you, you you need to rest, right? <laughs> so I know I may be overreading that, but you know, that's sort of sens- essentially what it is. That but at the end of the day, you know, I've seen patients who come in with like low scores, you know, sort of on the opposite end and they feel fine. And I'm like, well, don't let the objective score dictate your subjective experience, right? Mm. Because I'm sure, you know, thinking about you know staying up late for a wedding or going to a party, right? If it's associated with a good time or going on vacation. Yeah. And you lose sleep, guess what? You don't feel as bad as if it's a regular day when you know maybe you slept a little bit late because you were worried about the project or a presentation the next day. Yes. So sleep loss due to a positive event doesn't necessarily have maybe that same variability concerns as if you were, you know, a normal boring day. <laughs>
1: I was going yes. to say. Yeah. Yeah. I just find it all interesting. And I and I wonder, I mean, based on what you do. Mm-hmm. You talked about the 90 minutes for each of the sleep stages Mm -hmm. and that, you know, we need the deep sleep, but that we lose it. Ideally women in midlife, what are you, what are you hoping that we're getting in terms of deep? Like what's an ideal amount if, if there is such a thing and same with REM, I mean, it sounds like each stage is important. It obviously serves a purpose that's our body's designed to do this. So it serves a purpose, but what's your, what's your take on the ideal? If there's such a thing.
0: It's about 20% for each rate. Right? So if you take a look at the breakdown, you know, someone came to the lab, actually, a lot of the night is light sleep, about 50%. Oh wow! And then yeah, about 50% of stage two, maybe five to 10 of stage one, and the rest REM and deep sleep. Yeah. But it's right. It's cyclical. <clears throat> Excuse me.
1: Yeah. Have you wired yourself?
0: Um, I've done a home test. I've actually haven't done an in-lab test. But yeah, um, it was interesting. After I gave birth to my daughter about five years ago, um, a year later, I was so tired. And I was thinking, oh man, you know, maybe I still have some anemia. I had some anemia after Uh i to take more iron, or maybe I thought maybe my thyroid was out of whack. And I was drinking like three cups of coffee. And lo and behold, my husband's like, you know what, you're snoring. And you would go to the couch. And I was like, no way. And I was like, this is what I do on a regular (laughs) basis. And I was like, I can't have sleep apnea. It does run in my family. (laughs) Excuse me. I do have big tonsils and that can play a role. So How much space you have in your airway. So I did a home sleep apnea test and lo and behold, it was, yeah, it was positive for mild sleep apnea, which is common. You know, a lot of women can have sleep apnea and actually not even snore. So Yeah, and that's one of the things that I definitely like to talk about in terms of sleep medicine, because 90% some of the research shows of obstructive sleep apnea is undiagnosed in women, right? Mm. Now, going back when I used to work in the hospital, you know, a man would come to the hospital with sort of that crushing chest pain, sweating, radiating to the arm, can't breathe. Okay, yeah, clear signs of a heart attack. I've had a couple of women who just came in feeling a little bit dizzy, lightheaded, maybe nauseous. Good thing the ER doctor checked the enzymes for her cardiac enzymes, and that was her sign for a heart attack. So similarly, women don't necessarily need to snore, stop breathing. I read a study recently, you know, this woman was just having headaches. She was unrefreshed. She had pretty severe sleep apnea. had no idea she snored. Sometimes even if you have a bed partner, if you don't have a bed partner, if they're fast asleep, they don't know. So if you're tired, right? if you have a hard time maintaining sleep, if you're over 55, and if you're going through perimenopause and menopause, get checked out. The reason for that is age plays a role because your muscle tone decreases. So going mm. back, sleep happens when the muscles of the upper airway relax, typically the tongue falls back. As we get older, our muscles just aren't as strong. And mm. then as we lose that those hormones, those women's sex hormones, the estrogen and progesterone, that actually also makes the airway more floppy. So rates double to triple as women go through the change. And it's not talked about, you know, you go to your doctor and you say, oh, you know, I'm a little bit tired, feeling off. Maybe my mood isn't right. They'll probably give you an antidepressant, send you to a therapist or check your thyroid versus a man will come in. Oh, yeah, you probably have sleep apnea. Go get go get this test. Yeah. So there's a lot of gender bias. And if you take a look at it. Sleep medicine in terms of medical school, yeah. maybe one hour, two hour of education, even menopause, maybe one hour, two hours. So we just, you know, if, if, you're, if your doctor doesn't know, maybe give them some grace that they just haven't been exposed or know about this, um, because it is sort of a, a smaller field, but it's so necessary, right? You know, if you're t- tired, you can't eat well, you can't exercise, um, you know, you can't run your meeting, you can't run your business when your brain is foggy, or you can, I'm sure it just makes it a lot harder. So getting better sleep is so key to a lot of our essential functions.
1: Wow. So there's been a consistent theme with every different Mm -hmm. kind of doctor that's come on the show that's talked about how women aren't uh, studied as much and that they're not treated the same because there's not enough information or doctors sort of overlook it. So I appreciate that you highlighted Mm -hmm. that but let's break down sleep apnea for people who sure. aren't really familiar. So it sounds like I was cuz I was going to ask you about snoring oh, okay. and yeah. whether is that something that starts developing more in midlife? So you you said that mm-hmm. that in fact is the case in terms of our muscles or whatever, right? Yes. Yeah. So explain what it is and then is it a symptom of something more serious cuz you mentioned heart attack. So just help us yeah. understand so people don't worry if they're like, oh, gosh, I've been snoring for the last year. My, my partner's telling yeah, me. Yeah, definitely.
0: And yeah. It, it depends, right? So if you take a look at the spectrum of how open your airway is, yeah. snoring is partial collapse. So snoring is mm-hmm. like whistling. And guess what? Sort of what we see in women in the literature is that you can snore. And I think because women's brains are just so active, we're a lot smarter. Um, and then one dentist <laughs> asked me, maybe it's because women are more anxious. And I was like, hmm, I like the way I explain it better. Me too. <laughs> because our, our brains will wake up before it completely collapses. Oh, interesting. So when you take a look at comparative sleep studies for women versus men, yeah. we have milder cases. but we can be just as tired because our brain's like, nope, you got to stay open. So your muscles narrow and if it collapses by 90%, that's considered an apnea. Okay. If it collapses by 30%, that's considered a hypopnea. So what we look for during a sleep study is if you have at least five apneas plus hypopneas per hour. So snoring can be a nuisance to a bed partner. If you snore and you're tired because your brain's constantly waking up, it's still worthwhile to get a sleep study. You may not necessarily be at a higher risk for a heart attack or stroke if your sleep apnea is mild, but you don't know until you actually do the test. So if you already have things like high blood pressure, if you've had a heart attack or stroke, certainly those are high risk patients, you know, definitely would like to rule it out. However, if you have mild sleep apnea, the reason to treat someone is because it can improve the quality of your life, right? If you yeah. can get better quality sleep because your brain's not waking up, right? Yeah. It's okay. Really important. And headaches is a big thing for women too. Yeah. Is it waking related? With headaches. Yeah. So the reason for that is sometimes if your airways collapse, right, you have a hard time. Um, getting in oxygen and then expelling carbon dioxide. So when you don't have that proper gas exchange, you can wake up with a headache, but also short sleep or disrupted sleep can lead to headaches. Yeah. So it's sort
1: of a a dual factor there. There's the layers, but how is it connected to heart disease? Yeah. Sorry. I didn't explain that well. No, just because I just want to understand because this is so interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So You know, your heart needs oxygen,
1: right? Yeah. So at
0: night when you sleep, if your tongue is falling back and that's blocking the flow of air, uh, you can have lower levels of oxygen. You know, typically the oxygenation in our blood should be 92 or above. I've seen some folks hold their breath for over a minute and their oxygen drops down to the 60s and 70s. While they're sleeping? yeah. So if that keeps happening and happening and I'd be like, you'd be a great underwater diver, but right. They don't know necessarily unless, you know, they do a sleep study. So yeah, that can play a role, but also the stress of not breathing well and not sleeping. So it, it, it's multiple layers, not having enough oxygen, disrupted sleep can lead to more things like cortisol, adrenaline going up and yeah. that puts more pressure on the heart and then not sleeping long enough. So if you're sleeping actually less than six hours, um, that can lead to higher rates of um high blood pressure and that's putting more strain on your heart. So a wow. combination of factors can lead to heart attacks. Which... And how
1: is it treated? Oh, sorry, go ahead, please.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, which is you know a leading cause of death for women in the United States. So sleep wow. is so important, right? It's one of those so factors.
1: It's the critical, I feel like once you get your sleep aligned, like that should always be the first step in mm-hmm. any health like regimen you're trying to put into place, like yeah. nail down your sleep, start at night, and then right and then the oh yeah. You're going thumbs up, so yeah. yeah. Well, I'm a sleep doctor, so that's I'm super biased. I'm always like start with. Sleep. It makes
0: sense. Seems like with the diet, foundation. Yeah. Right. It's you're going to be so tired if you
1: can't sleep. Yeah. Because or... if you sleep well, then you're going to feel more energized in the morning to to not like be craving sweet foods or. Yep. You know, definitely. More like yeah. you have the energy to work out. How do you treat? How do you treat sleep apnea? What? what yeah. Is so the.
0: Best treatment option is actually something called a continuous positive airway pressure machine. Okay. So the way I like to describe it is I'm sure you've seen these waving arm balloons by the side of the road, usually by car dealerships or, you know, oh, yeah. mattress stores. They have yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. If so you think of your throat like a balloon that collapses when there's no pressure. Yeah. Actually, all we do is give you a mask on your face, connect to a hose, connect to a fancy air compressor known as a CPAP machine, and it just blows air in. A lot of people think that, you know, this mask is going to be really big, sort of like the Darth Vader type mask. They have pretty small masks that just sit underneath your nose,
1: mm. right?
0: You just need to blow air in. So that's probably the best treatment option. I've had people who stop breathing over 100 times an hour, which is wow. pretty severe. I'd oh, say wow. most people are more of the mild to moderate range. Yeah. But with this machine, it's just a amount of how much pressure we need to keep the airway open. Yeah. Wow. So that's one. Sometimes people can just get away with um, moving their body. What do I mean by that? So positional therapy, yeah. avoiding sleeping on your back or getting a bed where it actually raises your torso because gravity's pull on your tongue is stronger when you're flat on your back. So sleeping yes. on your side can help and sleeping a little bit propped up can help. There's also mouth guards. There are certain dentists who specialize in sleep apnea or airway. And yep. some of the mouth guards, what they can do is actually move the jaw forward just a couple millimeters. And that gives you more space in the back of your throat. Um, sometimes people have surgery if they have big tonsils, crooked mm. nose, issues with allergies. Believe it or not, some people have the back of their tongue removed and that oh. helps open up the space. It's a little bit <laughs> gruesome. And yeah, there's yeah. even an, <laughs> an implant <laughs> yeah. um, called Inspire where a surgeon will put a A wire to the nerve to the tongue. So when your tongue falls back, it gives you a zap. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of different options. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. This is so interesting. And what I, and I know you treat adults, but I'm just curious now Mm -hmm. because a lot of the women listening might have teens and stuff. They're wearing the braces. I know my daughter's orthodontist is big on mm-hmm. uh, making sure the airways are open and whatever. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know specifically what he he does. Like one of those panoramic uh, to mm-hmm. look at how much airflow is going. But you know, yeah. with allergies and stuff like you mentioned, I mean, I think whether you're an adult or a, a child, you yeah. can have that stuffy nose. Does that impact it too? Like treating, like if the the nasal cavities are are congested.
0: Yeah, that could certainly decrease the air flowing to your body. So if someone's sick or if they have bad allergies, I typically don't recommend to them to have a study until they feel better. Yeah. Um, so yes, it can play a role, but more oftentimes than not, I would say it's more of the back of the tongue or the soft it. palate it's that the closes. Space,
1: is it a space issue? Yeah. And then as we issue. age, it's a strength issue with the muscles. Exactly. Just seeing so if, you, if I understand you.
0: Yeah. yeah. Just imagine like the room that you're in. Now it's half the size.
1: And so one way you can actually look
0: at this, you know, a woman can do an exam at home is just in the bathroom, just open up your mouth. And if you can see the back of the throat, that means your space is pretty big. But if you open up your mouth and all you see is your tongue, you probably have a pretty small airway. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah,
1: space. But, and then as we get older, the walls aren't as strong. And so they can collapse. Got it. Okay. This is interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you read James Nestor's book, Breath, The New Science of a Loft? lost art. I've heard of it. I actually have it on my audible. I haven't listened to it, but I've heard of it on on. podcasts. Yeah. He he was a guest on my show. I, I found his book interesting and he just talked about (laughs) the importance of nasal breathing and he, I'll let you, you'll find it interesting based on what you do, but he like stuffed up his nose to, um, Mm. for like eight days to do a To do a study. I, yeah, I think he was under the guidance of a, a doctor oh, okay. who was That's monitoring good. him. Oh, yeah, no, it's, but he was <laughs> just talking about the importance of nasal breathing. Are mm-hmm. you a fan of mouth tape or not? Because if you're struggling, is that like a problem or is that actually yeah. beneficial? It depends
0: on your anatomy, to be honest. So if you're having allergies or if you have polyps in your nose or nasal septal deviation, and you actually need to have your mouth open because yeah. that's how you're getting more oxygen, Yeah, please don't tape your nose, right? Tape your mouth, <laughs> so, it's to tape oh, sorry, your yeah, mouth. Please don't tape your mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. Please no, don't no, tape your okay. mouth. Yeah. yeah. But if you do have a, an open airway, the, the theory behind it is if you tape your mouth, that means that there's sort of a suction. So your tongue is now placed at the roof of your mouth and that potentially can lead to less collapse of the upper airway to help open it up, yeah. So we don't have a lot of science behind this and it's really popular online. And, you know, I have seen people who felt better and I've tried it myself, but I don't like having something on me.
1: <laughs> so I, I can make it that a would little be the bit same. Tricky. I haven't yeah. tried it. I think I keep yeah. my mouth shut, but I have no, how, how do you know you're sleeping? But you would know because yeah. you, you. I'm, I've actually never even um, been told or, or had a doctor discuss like sleep mm-hmm. or sleep apnea. It's interesting that what you're talking about. So when somebody comes to see you, mm-hmm. What is a sleep study for anyone who's curious or has been thinking about doing it? What happens?
0: Yeah, good question. So there's two ways to do it, either in lab or at home. And just sort of the way things work with insurance companies, they prefer the home test. I'd say probably 90% of people can do the home test. It's pretty simple to use. So there's a couple different styles of kits. There's actually one that's sort of based on the technology for the Aura Ring, where Mm -hmm. it's based on heart rate variability. So Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of them is called sleep image, where basically it just you just wear this ring and it can measure your oxygen. And it says what stage of sleep you're in. But I sort of, you know, (laughs) question that. But you can tell whether or not you're breathing well based on that. There's another one called the watch Pat, where it just it looks like a watch and it has a finger probe to measure your oxygen heart rate. Also measures heart rate variability and your oxygenation. Um, The more traditional models are the ones where you have a nasal cannula in your nose, and that monitors the air moving in and out. There's a belt around your waist that monitors your lungs moving up and down. Believe it or not, some people, lungs don't move up and down when they don't breathe well. And that's called central sleep apnea, as opposed to obstructive sleep apnea, where the tongue falls back. And then we monitor the oxygen and the heart rate. And that's what we're looking for. The signal, if you're holding your breath, having those apneas or hypopneas for 10 seconds, five times an hour or greater. So those are the home. And then the in-lab is a lot more um, sensors. We're looking at your brain waves. So there's EEG, Uh There's also a microphone to see if you're snoring. There's sensors on your legs. There's a belt around your waist and also a video camera. So people who should go to the lab are people who have a lot of movements, right? If they're moving around a lot at home and the home kit falls off, then we're not going to get a good test. Someone who's already had a heart attack or a stroke or regular heartbeat, um, because right if you have an irregular heartbeat the heart rate variability monitors won't be helpful mm. yeah and you need oxygen too because then that's something that the technician in the lab um, can help you with because the in labs are attended there's somebody there watching you and if you are having really bad sleep apnea then they're going to put you on the treatment with the CPAP machine then in there yeah so
1: fascinating I'm going to ask you about the role of dreams is that mm. something you even study in school I mean do we know about dreams yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I
0: would say from um a medical sleep fellowship standpoint, no, yeah. not really. It's sort yeah. of we sort of gave that to the therapist. And so there's behavioral sleep oh, therapy. Yeah. But from what I can say with dreams, it's our unconscious mind coming to fruition at night, right? So you think yeah. of your mind having different layers. Um, for whatever reason. Sometimes I dream a lot about like high school. <laughs> I think a lot of
1: people <laughs> do, like you test in the and past. you're not ready, right? Do you get no, that No, I think one? You just sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, a lot yeah. of
0: times it's just like people in the past that maybe like, I'm thinking, oh, what happened to that person? <laughs> you know, like, you know, just They show touch. up in your dream. Yeah, they show up in my dreams. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. Well, uh, part of the reason I ask is I mm-hmm. find that like this morning, mm-hmm. the alarm went off. I was still having a dream. Oh. So when I wake up in dream, in REM, yeah. is it REM, right? Yeah. Okay. If it's so, a vivid dream, it's probably REM. Yeah. Well, I rem- I was remembering it. I don't know, but yes, I was definitely in a dr- very much in a dream, and the alarm mm-hmm. went off. Sometimes you have that groggy feeling. Is that because the body needs to naturally cycle back to the light sleep before you wake up? Is that the ideal?
0: Yeah, the, that's a good question. When you're actually in REM, your brain waves are going pretty fast. Oh, so. If you're still feeling groggy and you're in REM and you're waking up, it could be yep. maybe you're not getting enough sleep, right? Yep. Yeah. The groggy feeling or the sleep inertia is typically in the deeper stage because your brain waves are going really slow. Yeah, that's okay. stage three of sleep.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know if groggy is the right word. Sometimes you can feel like cloudy, but I think that's more mm. of a after maybe a nap or something. So what are your thoughts mm. on naps? Are you a fan? And if so, how what's the right way to do it? Definitely, I'm a big fan of naps. I like to take naps.
0: Um, I do because too. I'm, yeah, I'm really sensitive to caffeine. So that's why. Um, but in the past, I wasn't as sensitive. After having my second kid, I'm just so sensitive. I can't Our even bodies coffee change. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So naps are super helpful if you're really tired. So if you're really tired, right, please don't drive. Please don't, you know, make any serious decisions. If you have the opportunity to nap, keep them short. The reason for this is right, you know, going back into feeling groggy, um, maybe 20, 30 minutes or less, because if you yeah. go through a full sleep cycle um, and you maybe you're waking up in a deep stage of sleep, then you're not going to want to wake up or it's going to be even harder. And you're not going to feel refreshed. So it's almost like either keep it really short or you're just in stage one or two or do a whole 90 minute nap. The problem if you nap too long And the timing of the nap is also important. If you do it, you know, after three o'clock, after four o'clock, like after work, that can actually keep you from sleeping at night because what happens is we have this homeostatic sleep drive, this sleep pressure that builds up. So the longer we're awake, the sleepier we get. And if we take a nap, we sort of decrease that drive. And then it just takes longer for us to feel sleepy to go to bed at night. So sort of the rule of thumb is, you know,
1: 20 to 30 minutes or less before two or three o'clock. Okay. I mm. can actually set a timer for mm. like 10 minutes or something. And there's times not often, but every once in a while, I'm so tired. I just can't function. Mm. And it could even be four o'clock in the afternoon and I'll set right. a timer for 10 minutes and I could literally fall asleep sitting up in a chair. Wow, which is that's kind of yeah, yeah. But maybe that just means I'm too tired. I have no idea why mm-hmm. it would be but I'll wake up feeling fantastic. Yeah. But sometimes I go. I swear I go into REM though. Is does that mm-hmm. make no sense? No, it I does. Deep, or maybe I'm in deep. Like I'm. I'm. Yes, I've had mm-hmm. dreams. I have had dreams in those 20 minutes sleep stages. Yeah.
0: So if you're going into REM during a napping period, it could mean that you may not be getting enough sleep at night, <laughs> and you're, you're trying to build up your pay off your REM debt. Yeah. It used to happen to me a lot when I used to work like night shift in the hospital, I'd work overnight if it was really busy and I couldn't nap in the hospital. And then I'd come home, fall asleep, instantly start dreaming. I'd be like, oh, yeah, because I didn't sleep that well that night. So. Interesting. It, it could be that. My yeah. sleep
1: score is good. I don't know that yeah. I'm getting two hours of REM at night, but I don't know. When see. I take those naps, <laughs> maybe those days I don't. But it's just yeah. it's just interesting. I wanted to just ask because I was mm-hmm. uh, curious. So naps, no more than really. So 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you set a timer, and then yeah. uh, you should feel refreshed. I generally yeah, do. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, it's good that you can
0: take a short nap. Cause sometimes a lot of people say, you know, I wish I could take a nap because if I, I'm tired, but when I do, it's like an hour and then it just ruins their sleep. But and I definitely recommend bad, yeah. naps over caffeine because, you know, instead of drinking caffeine late in the afternoon, because yeah. sometimes the caffeine, you know, four to six hours is when it's supposed to be half of it's out of your system. But for some yeah.
1: people it takes 24 hours. Yeah. And they okay. don't maybe
0: realize how much the caffeine is disrupting their sleep at night.
1: Um, Matthew Walker's book, why we sleep. Yeah. I've read it. I've watched mm-hmm. him. I found it interesting. He talks about chronotypes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do those change as we age? Cause you know, how they say yeah. like, and, and in relation to that too, like, I think of, they say older people need less sleep. Is that true? And is there like a sweet spot? I know that's sort of a layered question. Yeah,
0: but. no. So chronotypes, when you think of chronotypes, you think of morning larks or um, night owls. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I would say I think it's about 20, 25% of the population are night owls. Typically, you see this as kids go through puberty. Um, there is certainly a genetic component to as well. So, you know, if you're a night owl, if you're taking the later classes for college, and, you know, in, in college, you can pick your schedule. So it's not an issue. And then typically, what I see in my practice is now that they're in their regular job and they can no longer sleep at two o'clock or three o'clock because they got to get up at six to get ready for work. And
1: yes. they've tried
0: ambient, they've tried melatonin, and it's not helping. Um, the medical term is actually called delayed sleep phase syndrome. And melatonin actually may or may not help or, you know, may or may not work um, depending on the type that they get because melatonin in the U S it's not a prescription medication in some country it is. So it's actually oh, wow. really adulterated. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, and I'm sort of fortunate, I guess my patients, they live in either Hawaii or California where there's access to a lot of natural sunlight. So, you know, you've heard a lot but of getting sunlight beaming on my face.
1: You're seeing that yeah. happening. I keep shifting. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. It's
0: really helpful to reset your clock the next day. So the more sunlight you get can actually turn your, to help you fall asleep earlier. So people who work in offices and they're night owls, what I recommend is get a light box, at least 10,000 lux, sit at your desk for at least half an hour, even up to two hours. And that can help you feel sleepy earlier. And that's a treatment for delayed sleep phase. As we get older, elderly people sometimes have more of an advanced sleep phase instead of feeling sleepy around nine or 10, right? You know, they're going to sleep after dinner and they have an early dinner. So they're going to sleep around seven or eight. You know, using light, in the evening to push them right because um, light in the evening time delays the release of melatonin and so Late, they a want to sleep box, later. They mm-hmm, would use a light, a light box. box. Yeah, a light box. So go for an evening walk. But yeah, um, but also if you're retired and you're going to bed at seven or eight, if that doesn't bother you, then is it? Do
1: you really need to change? Let's talk about women in perimenopause, menopause. Yes. What's happening to their sleep? Because we know about the hot flashes and (laughs) needing to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, all the different changes that are happening because of the declining estrogen and the different things Mm -hmm. happening in our body. So what are you seeing in your practice? Because I know you specialize in this.
0: Yeah. So 40 to 60% of women in and around perimenopause and menopause have difficulty with their sleep. Okay. The reasons for that vary. So women overall have higher rates of anxiety and depression. And there's a bi-directional relationship between our mood and our ability to sleep. So that's one. Sleep okay. happens. When we talk about sleep stages, sleep happens when our brain waves slow down. So if you have a hyper-aroused state because of anxiety now from fluctuating hormones, that can lead to disrupted sleep. Hmm. You have a hard time staying asleep, right, from waking up to go to the bathroom. Certainly that can be estrogen-related changes to your urethra. It's just the walls aren't as strong, so maybe happen to go more. But actually, undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea is also associated with having to wake up more. I love ah. explaining this. So if you think of your throat like a pipe, right? What happens when there's a narrowing in your pipe? Downstream, there's more pressure. So how do you relieve that pressure where actually there's more pressure in your lungs, more pressure in your heart. It's in the same cavity. Your heart will stretch and signal down to your kidneys to tell you to wake up to peak. So, oh, right, wow. when there's a narrowing in the pipe in your faucet, in your in your house, try to open the faucet, remove the plug, right? Relieve that pressure. Of course. And so that's the same process. So, yeah, I have some women who wake up three to four times a night. We diagnose them, treat them for their sleep apnea, and it's down to, like, one, and they're pretty happy. Oh, yeah, wow. So sleep apnea is a really, really big one. Hot flashes, definitely. That one is, you know, they come in knowing that. Um, and then the other part, too, is... I think the changes in our sleep architecture, right? Having less deep sleep, having less REM, waking up more frequently. And it's really interesting because women who are eligible and who want to be on hormone replacement therapy actually have, um, improvements in their sleep quality. Yeah. It does help. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It does. HRT does hormone replacement therapy can improve your sleep. Uh, it's not for everybody. You know, if you have a history of, you know, like breast cancer or maybe some cardiac risk, but, Encour- I always encourage people to talk to a licensed um, menopause specialist about this. You know, there are menopause specialists, even traditional uh, obst- obstetrics and gynecologists. A lot of the training is in and around pregnancy. Yeah. So menopause
1: and midlife care is a little bit
0: tossed to the wayside. It's just yeah. unfortunate.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I've had a few doctors who are focused specifically Mm -hmm. now, they're OBGYNs who are focused specifically on this and changing the conversation for women because they're not getting the care and they're just getting the antidepressants scripts Mm -hmm. written versus getting the more of the help that they need. Mm. Um, So what are some of the holistic ways that you help people Mm -hmm. with sleep um, if they're suffering from insomnia? Because you mentioned the integrative medicine. I know that you're a fan of yoga, therapeutic massage, acupuncture. Can you speak to this?
0: Yeah. So for women who have a hard time falling asleep, I really encourage them to develop a mind-body practice. And what does that mean? Well, something that helps you feel calm that really yeah. strengthens that parasympathetic response, gets that heart rate bil- variability higher. And what does that look like? Well, I give them, you know, choices, you know, just like regular exercise, what's the best one? Well, the one that you'll do. So I teach them okay. about, you know, breathing so exercises. Yeah, yeah, breathing exercises are great. You know, you can do them almost anywhere. Um, it's really available. And it's really the quickest way to go from the stress response to the relaxation response is to yeah. slow down your breathing. Yeah, the 478 breathing technique by Dr. Andrew Weil is super yes. popular. If you can yes. get your respiratory rate to less than 6 breaths a minute, that's super helpful. I'm really a fan of imagery guided imagery. I'm trained in clinical hypnotherapy. So, it, the best way I can explain this is to bring someone to their happy place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you're in your happiest place, whether it be a vacation, back in your childhood home, it's Thanksgiving, you're just around surrounded by people that you love. Uh, just see yourself sleeping, right? You know, immerse yourself in that situation. What are you wearing? What are you smelling? What are you feeling? Even like, you know, going to a vacation that you really enjoy. Can you use the power of your imagination to physically be there? Wow. And it's so amazing because you can evoke the same feelings when you were there just by thinking about it. And it really just helps shift the mindset because a lot of people who come in, women especially, and, you know, we tend to catastrophize at night something's wrong with me, I need to take a pill, maybe I need to get up, I have this to the, this and that to do, right? The social aspect of our lives in menopause um, also play a role, right? You know, maybe we have elderly parents that we're worried about, maybe we have our own health concerns, and maybe our kids are still at home, or maybe we're getting them off to college. And those are things that sort of plague our mind. So if you can have a mind-body practice that grounds you, where you're not worrying about those things. Um, journaling is also one of my favorite things to recommend. Mm. And it's pretty simple. You just need a piece of paper uh, and a pen and write things down. I like to liken it to you know, all the email that you don't read anymore. Do you just sit, leave it in your inbox or do you archive it? Do you delete it? You know, Put your old files into the recycle bin and just delete it. Um, the more you practice that, certainly the easier it gets. I
1: love that. And what? how do you do the journaling? Do you do a prompt or do you just let people freestyle, just write whatever's bothering them or whatever?
0: Yeah, certainly depends on on the patient. Um, I'm a big fan of freestyling. For some patients who have a lot of ingrained negative sleep beliefs, like I'm a bad sleeper, I've had difficulty sleeping for six months, I'm never going to be able to sleep again, right? You know, take a look at those exact thoughts. And then we do the cognitive therapy work. Where we slowly start to change it, right, you know, start from acceptance, right, and then how can we learn how to change our thoughts around sleep, right you know you know i'm a I'm a bad sleeper, you know well, what does bad even mean, right you know, right. maybe you're just a night owl, and if you had a job where you worked at night, you wouldn't be a bad sleeper, you'd be a perfect sleeper, you know, in quotes, but you know, and then bringing in that self compassion right you know um it's okay right you know as we get older this is part of life right 40 to 60% of women have difficulty sleeping you are certainly not alone in the general population 30% of people have difficulty sleeping at any given time yeah. So it's not uncommon. So bringing in that um, common humanity. And then how would you talk to your loved one, right? Your daughter, if she had difficulty sleeping, your best friend, you probably wouldn't be like, man, you suck at sleeping, right? You know, it <laughs> would probably be like, it's going to be okay. You'll figure this out, right? Yeah. Read this book, right? You'll be more resourceful. So thinking, changing your your, your mind around that, yeah,
1: is really helpful. I love this. I, I could keep you here all, all day, but yeah. I will not. I just think <laughs> no, it's fascinating because sleep is yeah, so important. We all, definitely. And, and, But I'm glad think, you the Oh, I love this conference. I love this topic yes. and I like I said I'm so grateful that you're here and sharing what you know. It's like a little mini masterclass for us, mm-hmm. you know. And to realize that almost half the pe- half the women are yeah. having sleep issues, you're not alone. There's mm-hmm. solutions. Um what didn't I ask you today that you want to leave the women with listening with anything in particular around sleep?
0: Yeah, I think just going back to if you aren't getting the recommended 7 to 9 you know, there's so of hours of sleep at night because there's so much information out there of if you don't sleep, this is going to happen. You're going to have a heart attack. If you don't sleep, you're going to develop, develop dementia. And it's almost like, I feel like we're being chastised. And if you don't know tools, the science behind sleep and how to get better sleep, it can make you yeah. feel really like bad about yourself. Vulnerable. and Yeah. Vulnerable is a great way to put it. And Yeah. You know, I always think that we're we're doing the best we can. And sometimes you just need the information. So don't feel like you have to suffer alone, suffer in silence, reach out. You know, I'm sure your girlfriends probably have something similar if they're the same age. Talk to your doctor. If you are having difficulty with insomnia, there's the um, American Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine. And there's a directory out there where you can find actually a sleep therapist. Um, You can look up the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and find a medical sleep doctor. Typically, medical sleep doctors do things more along the lines of sleep apnea. The behavioral sleep therapists do like dreaming and insomnia work. Um, But yeah, talk to people around you because I'm sure what you're going through is not alone. And there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of people that want to help. And
1: if people wanted to reach out to you, do you only practice in California and Hawaii? And I know you also have a freebie. So tell us how we can connect with you or how we can keep learning from you.
0: Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, so I do only practice uh, my integrative sleep practice for people who live in Hawaii or California and that's sleeplifemed.com. And then I created a freebie that's all about exhaustion. Um, So women who are chronically exhausted, right? Don't feel like this is just part of life. I was talking to someone recently and it's like, there are some women who know they have a sleep issue and some people who don't know and you need to talk to both of them because the people who don't know think that it's just normal to be tired. Oh. And so those people who think it's normal to be tired, please check out my exhaustion checklist which <laughs> I'll send a, a link to to Michelle because it breaks down, you know, beyond sleep. Um, you know, do you could you have issues with your blood sugar? Could you have issues with your thyroid or your vitamins, right? Could you have an autoimmune condition? So it's basically questions to ask your doctor if you're chronically mm. tired, because when uh, you go to a doctor, typically, right, you have less than 10 minutes, maybe I think it's seven minutes face-to-face time. Okay. And, you know, if you're already feeling vulnerable and maybe you're not going to have your answers um, your questions answered, you know, come prepared, come with this checklist. And I, I'm like, I think I need to have this test done, or maybe I need to see this specialist. Mm-hmm. And they're more likely to be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what you're talking about versus just dismissing you.
1: Oh, thank you for creating that. All of the nice. show notes for today will be over at the So anyone listening, you can head over there and you can grab that checklist. And I think if you are so tired, your brain's not working as well too. And having those good conversations in a seven minute time frame is probably really challenging anyway. So yes, that's so definitely. nice that you made that and access to, um, Dr. Val's website and social, wherever you like to hang out, I'll make sure to link all of that over there. And I want to encourage you. everyone to share this with all your friends in midlife, you know, sleep affects 50% of the women and we all need good sleep. So even if you feel like you're sleeping well, I learned so much. I knew everyone's here is going to be learning so much, so please share this as broadly as you can. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Val, for being My here. It's it's been such an amazing conversation. and Thanks. um I think knowledge is power. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I, again, I think it's such a fascinating subject matter. So um very grateful to you for your time today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and sleep well. <laughs> thank you.